I'm Dr. Megan Corredo, and welcome to Real Stories, a podcast that features the narratives of trauma survivors, professionals, and community leaders. Real Stories provides a platform for guests with diverse life experiences to voice and honor their unique narratives. During today's episode, we will be speaking with Jane Golden. Jane, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Can you tell us a little about who you are? Sure. Um, My name is Jane Golden, and I am the Executive Director of Mural Arts Philadelphia. Um, And I am also a person who loves Philadelphia and is deeply committed to doing work that lies at the nexus of art and social change. Mm. Can you tell us about what you do? Sure. So I oversee this wonderful program that is really devoted to making sure that citizens have access to art and that young people and young adults, um, people who are uh, vulnerable, um, people who have been in the margins of our society and in a very unfair way, um, that everybody has access to art and beauty and that we do our work in service of the greater good, which is to make sure our city is a more humane and just city and mm. hopefully the world. Um, mm. And so my job really entails like thinking about projects and programs and fundraising and relationships and straddling uh, the two worlds of the public and private sector. And I think it's about doing work that is done with a, that the bar is high and that we're doing it with integrity and that we talk about it really explicitly, cogently, and passionately. So we're inevitably able to build our our circle and of friends and donors and supporters and advocates and believers that art plays a role, an important role in our world. Mm. So how long have you been a part of Mural Arts? From the beginning, I'm actually the founder. Um, it's funny, I don't like to refer to myself as the founder because I feel that it really took a village to get off the ground. And so I don't want the light to shine on me. It makes me uneasy. Um, and before that, before mural arts, I worked at the anti-graffiti network under the executive director, Tim Spencer. Um, and I did that work for 10 years and it was really interesting work. And I think that anything I know about working in community or with young people really happened during those years of anti-graffiti. It was almost like getting three graduate degrees. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was like so intense. And so it was both intense, incredibly challenging, hard, difficult, arduous, and wonderful and inspiring. Mm, So all those things all mixed in together. Exactly. Um, It sounds like this experience was also like empowering, but also exhausting. That's right. You know, when I worked at anti-graffiti, because it wasn't an arts program, but the graffiti writers loved art and Mm. like it hadn't been done before. So everything was new and I was new to Philly and I had never worked with graffiti writers. I mean, seriously, when I got the job, my former boss looked at my resume and said, okay, you're hired. We wanted to hire someone who could start an art program. Uh, Your salary will be $12,000 a year. You're not going to have a desk. I I could never figure that out. Um, and, uh, you're going to have, there are about like a thousand graffiti writers and he, he broke down the structure of the organization a little bit. And then he was, I was like, okay, I'll take the job. 
<laughs> I was like jumping into a cold pool of water, just like swim, swim. And you're like, I'm mm. not sure I can. <laughs> and you didn't even know what you were jumping into. I had no idea. I didn't know what I was doing. But then I met the most extraordinary block captains and community leaders and young people who had enormous talent, but like zero opportunities. It was like, ah, oh, like this is a way to shift the paradigm about how art can be infused into people's lives. And I think like, it's not like I had an instant epiphany, but over the first few years that I did the work, it was like, oh, I get it. If we do our work with great intention and love and rigor and passion, like we can mm-hmm. actually like move the needle in some way. Um, mm-hmm. And we had enough of an opening to go in that door and change it. Mm. So we know that every individual, every community, every system has a story and every story includes both adversity and strength. Can you talk to us about some of the adversities that you faced? Sure. I mean, the one thing, so, you know, over the years, first, first, just becoming the mural arts program, we were a teeny little organization with a very small budget. And, Mm. you know, I have always thought, and I work for some wonderful people in city government and we've made it through five mayors. So we've seen the strength and the assets and we've seen the struggle. So Mm. sometimes art is really marginalized. Sometimes it's, right at the top it's both and you have to steal yourself for the fact that this is a long distance run and if things are good they're not going to stay good like everything is in cycles and you have to just remind yourself it's like i like rebecca solnit that she says you row forward looking backward and then mm. you have to remember your victories because sometimes the present is so daunting like we right. remember we did transformative work at some point as a world, as a society, we have to think of that. That keeps us going. It's the same thing for the path of community-based public art making. So the the struggles have been, you know, politics, Mm. uh, always different, you know, different people, different administrations, different allies to build and make. And, you know, um, uh, you have to grapple with people who don't see the work as important. Um, In the beginning, Megan, I mean, murals were very low on the food chain of public art making. People would say to us, you're not doing public art. And when we said, well, what do you think we're doing? People would say, you're doing social work. And they would Mm. say it in a way as if they had a lemon in their mouth. And I would say, well, I think social work is a really noble profession. So I'm going to say thank you. And Mm -hmm. the kids I was working with, I'd say, hold your heads up. You know, I said, would say to them, someday we're going to be totally vindicated. And then when social practice came about, like now everyone talks about it from museums to colleges, universities, and every nonprofit in the world is doing social justice work. I'm like, we were here in 1988. <laughs> mm, mm, um, when it wasn't popular. Right, exactly. And then, you know, fundraising is always a struggle because, you know, sometimes you're, you know, you get grants, sometimes you don't. It's about sometimes about power dynamics and relationships and who's on your board and who's not. And, you know, it's, it's a pretty unfair world. So you have to steal yourself for that and just go, I believe in the work. I'm just moving forward. And then, you know, I would say because Mural Arts is a citywide organization and we're involved in criminal justice, behavioral health, community development, education, like we're, we come up against every complex issue that Philadelphia is grappling with. Education, mm. issues around race, class, um, opioid addiction, homelessness, um, the lack of equity and parity in education, um, you name it, it's sort of an issue that we rush up against. Now, I will tell you, I would not want it any other way. 
But when you dive into that arena, you have to be prepared for it's not going to be easy. If this job is not for the faint of heart, I tell people that in the interview process. Mm-hmm. And um, but if you're if you're saying you're going to do it, you're really talking about social justice work. You have to really do it. There's too much mediocrity out there, and there's too much spin and not enough substantive work. And because of that, people then don't people don't have trust or they they lose faith. Mm-hmm. And if our goal is to build faith and respect and to use art as a, as a glue, as a connector, as a unifier, then you have to do what you say. You have to keep your word. You have to have really strong core values and you have to live every day by those values. Mm-hmm. But that's not easy. So, so going back to um, what you were mentioning about all the different um, systems that the mural arts program interfaces with, um, what, what's really striking to me is also the fact that the arts can kind of cut across all these different systems and it can connect people who are experiencing so many different things, whether the, those are adversities or opportunities, um, challenges or strengths. That's exactly right, Megan. That's, that's so right. And I saw that it was interesting. It was you know, I think I saw that when we were the anti-graffiti network, because I would be like, huh, we did a mural in the community, and then we were able to bring in Philly Green, and then we started talking about city services, and then we brought in our colleagues from other city departments, and wait a minute, this is like a tipping point here. And so it was like, sort of like in our minds, like, oh, there's something percolating that's really powerful. And then when we became mural arts, it was actually under former Mayor John Street, uh, we were part, we became part of the division of uh, social services, thanks to Estelle Richmond, who was the director of social services. And it changed our lives. It completely changed our lives because suddenly we were at the table with these commissioners who were visionary, who had large budgets. And Estelle said, art should be part of the way we do business as a city. I mean, my goodness, who says that? She was such mm-hmm. an innovator. She was so ahead of her time. And it was like this lesson for me that art can be very practical. Art is useful. I mean, don't get me wrong. Art for art's sake is wonderful. I think beauty matters and it's so important just generally, but it can also be the approach that can actually reach someone when our traditionals intervene, our traditional interventions fail us because they will right. fail us. So well, how do we hold on to innovation and creativity and art and, and, and use it um, in, in non-traditional ways uh, as an intervention. And mm-hmm. that's what, and like I came to that partially based on what I was seeing, but I was inspired and influenced by commissioners, commissioner of department of behavioral health, uh, department of human services, uh, the department of prisons, like really great thinkers um, started to work with us in ways that were just so extraordinary and exciting. Mm. So can you share a few important positive moments or turning points in your story? I think, you know, there was in the beginning, in the very beginning when when I worked for the Anti-Graffiti Network, I remember there was um, a moment when we had been able to reach like a lot of the big name graffiti writers. And we would have, we started this drawing class at the Community Education Center at 36 and Lancaster, if I remember Mm -hmm. right. And we um, had started to have like a full house there, like every Thursday night. And we were drawing, I mean, and the kids were like drawing like bowls of fruit, right? And mm-hmm. I remember I invited the mayor and my, and Tim Spencer to come by and they were like, wow, 
is this possible? Like these are graffiti writers and they're like drawing a bowl of fruit. I'm like, but look at, the, and, and I said, not only are they drawing a bowl of fruit, look at their drawings. Their drawings are extraordinary. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much talent. We've tapped into like this, like there is just so much talent. And then mm-hmm. later on, you know, when we started doing these big murals and working with so many kids, like it was like thousands and thousands of kids, how exciting that was. And then it, when we became mural arts, it was a few years after we became mural arts, we did a peace wall in Grace Ferry. And mm-hmm. it was when things were very rough down there. There had been murder. There had been some, you know, like some beatings. There had been, and, and whites and blacks were just, all communication had broken down. And when we said we wanted to do a peace mural, everybody was like, you're so naive. That's not going to do anything. The mural's going to get vandalized. And the mayor's office was really like against it. And eventually we just talked people into it. And we went, I went door to door with a deputy mayor, Lillian Ray, and she's black and white. So we thought we'd be a good team. So eventually we got a consensus that people wanted an image of hands. And my husband's a filmmaker. He said, you should use real people's hands. So we had this meeting at a church and we were so convinced no one would show up because people were still so angry at each other. And for some reason, it captured people's imagination and people started pouring in this church, young, old, black, white. And we took this photo of people reaching towards each other. And it was like this extraordinary moment. And we projected it onto the wall at night. And as we painted, people would gather because it was like, Mm. what is going on at 29th and Wharton? And then people inevitably started talking talking about the mural and the dedication. And remember, it's just so vivid as if it were yesterday. We had a gospel choir. We had great speakers and people were like, this is the most integrated event that's happened down here. And Mm. when people said to me, the different community leaders, they said, you know, it's like clearly like racism is not dead. We all know this. But what Mm -hmm. the project is, is it shifted the conversation. Mm. It's not like it moved the needle like miles, but it moved the needle enough to broker a connection that would not have happened. I'm convinced. Mm. And then we, another project was Healing Walls, where we worked with crime victims, victims advocates, and the men in our painting class at Greaterford Prison. And again, it showed us this, this, this power of art to bring people together. It was a two-year project. Everybody was really angry at each other and claimed their own pain until they started painting together. And then they could actually see each other's humanity. And then realized as a unit they were strong and that they could work together to combat crime and make a difference in people's lives in the city, that it wasn't a question of you're bad, I'm good, you're this, I'm this, that, you know, there was something else percolating. And I will posit that I think part of the beauty of the work is it shines a light on our distinctions and our differences, and it also underscores our commonality. Um, Art is such an incredible tool to connect us, to also serve as a vehicle for change, um, to empower us, to allow us to voice things, um, with words, without words. And it's really amazing to hear about all the different ways that um, you have seen the arts connect people in your work. Oh, thank you. It's a privilege. It really is. It's like, it's such a privilege. And I think it's what, you know, when you were asking about the struggles and the obstacles before, I have to say for, I'm going to answer this personally. And I I think I'm answering on behalf of colleagues that it's what keeps you going because no matter what is happening, like if I were to go down to Kensington right now, if I were to be able, I can't because of COVID, but go into the maximum security prison, if I visited an art ed site, or even just, you know, we have this fellowship program for black artists and talking to a few of the younger artists last week on the phone that were, inter- I, you know, always love talking to, to every, every artist. 
and just hearing um, what they have to say about their work, their practice, the world. I mean, to see the way art impacts them, how it inspires them um, from people who are living a life that is unfathomable to people whose lives are more intact. It's just Mm -hmm. across the board, there's an impact both Mm -hmm. in in a way, in a way that's so deeply personal and then a way that is about the world. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's really, for me, it's like, Oh yeah, it just keeps us going and it challenges us in a really good way to think about how we do it, how we do more. Absolutely. So what do you see for yourself in the future? What's your future vision? Well, I mean, it's like a vision, you know, I feel like I've done this a long time and some days like I think, Oh yeah, no, I have to eventually think about succession and where am I going to go? And like, what do I want to do? And eventually, I mean, I think I'd love to, we have a mural arts Institute now where we consult with other cities Mm. to not replicate ourselves in other cities like Dunkin' Donuts, but it's more (laughs) about identifying really promising practices in those cities and supporting their work. And Mm. that's really fascinating because I think a lot, not just about Philly or mural arts, but I think about the field and the practice of art and social practice, art and, you know, um, social engagement. Um, I think there's so much to do. Like it's just this world that you could continue to explore and experiment in and, Mm-hmm. You know, really uh, reach people in ways that I hadn't ever considered. And I learn all the time. So I think about doing that work and teaching. I, my, my second job is I, I teach at Penn. I co-teach with a really wonderful muralist, Cheryl Wolinsky. And I also mm-hmm. teach at more College of Art. So that's sort of, you know, that's in the more distant future. In the more immediate future, I would say for mural arts, I would really love to see our Porchlight work um, and you know Nadia Malik, who's wonderful. I heard you mm-hmm. know her. Um, the Porchlight work and our criminal justice work really brought more to scale because I think that's where we're seeing the data that we're seeing is really powerful. It's really good. We're we're, we're really seeing people move from a, a, a place where they're where things are pretty closed in to feeling that they have potential. And I, you know, I know I'm, you know, I know like you know this, and I'm I'm like because you've written about it and you've inspired me, but it's like, how do people like, if we're, if people are going to resist the seduction of the streets or heroin or, you know, whatever it is that we, that one is grappling with, it's like, you have to believe in yourself. There has to Mm -hmm. be some resilience and grit. Right. And I think by people being in a setting where there's support and love and opportunity to express oneself and create and, feel that they are safe. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's where there is a beginning. And then Mm -hmm. one has to be strategic. And that's what I like in both the Guild and Portslate. We are, we're working with therapists and clinicians and social workers and, you know, in Kensington, even visiting nurses and, and other practitioners and the Guild is the same way with social workers and job developers. And how do we surround people with the services they need in order to move them to the next place in life? And I think I saw that in anti-graffiti because it's like the graffiti writers, it's like anti-graffiti was so successful because enough money was on the table to employ kids and provide opportunities for them for long periods of time. In our country, I think what we think it's like instant breakfast. 
You know, we think, oh, people come out of prison and they're just going to be fine. Or people are going to somehow magically recover from addiction or they're going to deal with like be able to cope with great trauma and just magically be okay. Well, people with means can go get help and then Mm -hmm. others cannot. And that's what we need to realize. And so why can't we offer programs that are excellent? Why can't we invest on the front end? Why can't we have a massive jobs program in this country like the WPA in the 1930s that came out of the shadow of the depression? That's what we need to do, because when we do that, we see success. Mm. Are there any favorite or life changing resources that you want to share with listeners? Well, I would say that we have really good data from the Yale School of Medicine for our porch light work. And it talks about the impact to the individual and then the impact on a community level. They, they use the term collective efficacy, how a community gets ready for other changes. And we're always happy to share that resource. We also have in art education, great resources, coloring books and zines about how one is coping with the trauma of the moment. And they're also really artistic and beautiful and interactive. Um, And then, you know, we're always happy to talk about our criminal justice work. And then the Mural Arts Institute is really advising programs. And we also give advice about people who are interested in public art projects. So people can always reach out to Mural Arts and either schedule a conversation or a couple sessions with the Institute or um, go to our website. We have many downloadable publications about different aspects of our practice. Mm, it sounds like the, you know uh, of a wide array of different types of resources um, that people who are interested in learning more about this this space can access. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And we're really happy to share. We think that's important. You know, we're a city agency. We look at our budget with 30 percent public and the rest is private. But we all feel like public servants working on behalf of citizens of the city. Um, and so we feel very aware I mean, I feel like it's really a privilege. Like I'm a city employee and I've always felt like, oh, it's a privilege. It's an honor. But it also comes with a great responsibility. Like it's really important that we work hard, that we do what's right, um, that we're always trying to think preemptively and creatively, you know, and, and that it's important that we share, that we share things, that we be gracious and generous. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, it's also important for us to uh, feed off of each other's strengths because everybody doesn't do everything well. But um, many of us have, you know, the, this particular area that we do do well. And if we can kind of feed off of one another's strengths, we can build one another in the work that we're doing up. Yeah, you're so right. That's a really good point. I want to say that I think um, it's really important that we know what we know and we know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'd say like we partner with I, I where it must be like 50, 60 organizations every year. And we do that because we know that our lives will be infinitely enriched by our colleagues and peers and, you know, people who are doing their work like so well and we can learn from them and they can learn from us. There has to be, I think we say, you know, it's interesting whenever I talk to the guys at, in the greater for class, they were always like, oh, thanks. You no, know, thank you. And I'm like, no, really, thank you. I said, this is really about mutuality. This is not like about us coming in and doing something. It's really like you have like changed our lives. So, and I, I look at that like across the city, like it's about mutuality. Mm. Is there anything else that you want to share with our audience? 
Yeah, I think it is important for the work to be generative. That's a word that I really like. So that you're always planting seeds and something can lead to something else and something else. So we've tried really explicitly over the years to create pathways. So if you start out in our art education program, you could end up a teaching artist or doing murals. And the same with our guild or in our porch light program, that there are pathways that people can grab onto. And I think I'd learned that in anti-graffiti that, you know, you want to offer programs that are and projects that are really substantive and that are sustained over longer periods of time and how to, you know, and so for us, it's like we try to build that into everything that we're doing. And then I would say the same thing. I want to say um, the same thing is really true of artists that I feel as though artists are really, uh, they're, they're so wonderful. They enrich our lives. They make our world a better place for sure. Um, and they often go unacknowledged. And I think it's really a struggle. And so I think that we should do all we can to lift up artists. And so, and not to be complacent, like we employ a couple hundred artists every year, um, teaching artists and, and, do, and artists who create public art, but we've become much more intentional about opening the door to younger artists, uh, artists of color. Um, it, I just feel like who, you know, that the history of public art making in certainly in this country, I think probably across the world has been a history that has been both really interesting. If you think of the Mexican muralist, WPA, political art in this country, but it's also been on a parallel track, very effete and elitist. And mm. we need to constantly be aware of changing that paradigm and opening the door so others can come in and create. And then that, because we know that they will go on and do wonderful things and touch others. So mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. I, just, I had a, I think, I think that I can't say enough about um, artists in our city and how anyone who's listening should support all the great arts organizations. Mm. Um, something that really excites me about um, the work that's being developed by the mural arts program is that um, so often we think we have to go to a museum in order to see something beautiful, but it's this idea of saying, um, we're bringing the museum to you. Your community is the museum. That's right. And I think, it's so interesting. I, I I think that's so important to note because, you know, I love galleries and museums, but art should not reside there exclusively. It just shouldn't. It's for everyone. Beauty is for everyone. It's like oxygen. And I think that for years we've been trying to level the playing field about where art is. So I feel proud of that, that there are over 4,000 works of art in this city. And there's barely a neighborhood that has gone like unacknowledged. Like we've worked almost everywhere. And that is really like, I think that's so exciting. And then you meet, we've met people all over the city and, you know, just, and, and I think too, the other thing, Megan, that's interesting is that the work represents the city, right? So it's resonant with citizens. You know, when out of towners come to Philly, sometimes a group, a group of city council people from Atlanta said to me, Jane, it's so amazing. The work looks like the people who live here. And I was mm. like, yeah, of course. They said, well, that's not the way it is in every city. Sometimes the work is done by artists who are from outside the city and they come and they go and that's it. And there's a disconnection. I was like, oh, no, 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 not in this city. There's a real deep connection. And I think that it's a real point of pride that we're known internationally as the city of murals. And that, in effect, the murals are the autobiography of the city. Mm -hmm. And I think that is completely impossible. Um, And also in a time when we're talking about, you know, the Confederate monuments and monuments in general, I mean, the murals in some way are our monuments, but they're, they're much more than a, like a something on a sculpture on some pedestal. 
they are real, right? They're sort of living, breathing testaments to people in the city. And there's something absolutely wonderful about that. Mm. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you um, for sharing about the development of the program and um, the incredibly powerful impact of the arts to support communities and building connection. Oh, well, thank you so much. It's just been a delight talking to you and thank you for all your good work. Thank you for listening to Real Stories. The resources referenced by today's guest speaker will be included in the episode description. For more information about me, Dr. Megan Corrado, and my work with the story's trauma narrative intervention, please visit my website, www.storiesguide.com. Also, feel free to follow my story social media pages on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Remember that for every story of trauma and adversity, there's always a story of strength and resilience.